Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is John Glatt. We spoke back in November about a fascinating book he, he wrote titled Golden Boy, A Murder Among the Manhattan Elite. It was originally published in July of 2021. But we're going to talk about a different book today, a very disturbing true crime book. Title of the book is The Doomsday Mother, Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, and the End of the American Family published January 2022. It already has 66 five-star reviews in the U.S. on Amazon. And there is an audio book if you'd like to listen uh, along with this book. Again, the title is The Doomsday Mother. Uh, John Glad is an investigative journalist with more than 35 years of experience. In the last 30 years, he's written 25 true crime books and five biographies with more than 2 million books currently in print all over the world. Glad is acknowledged to be one of the best true crime writers working today. His first book, Rage and Roll, Bill Graham and the Selling of Rock, was published in 1993 to critical acclaim. Two years later, he wrote Lost in Hollywood, The Fast Times and Short Life of River Phoenix, a well-received biography on the tragic movie star. His next book, The Chieftains, an authorized biography, which was published in 1997, saw him nominated for a 2000 Grammy in the spoken word category. In 1998, he wrote the well-received The Ruling House of Monaco, the story of a tragic dynasty, under, co- uncovering many new revelations about the Grimaldis. Glad has appeared on scores of television and radio programs all over the world, including ABC 2020, Dateline NBC, Fox News, Discovery ID, BBC World, and A&E Biography. But again, we're going to talk about this book. It's, it's a very troubling book. I would recommend if you have young children in the background or maybe in a certain area, be very careful because gets very graphic. Again, the title of the book is The Doomsday Mother, Mother, Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, and the End of the American Family with John Glatt. So John Glatt, welcome back to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Oh, thanks for having me. John, great. People may not have heard our last conversation about Golden Boy. Maybe you can kind of add to anything that I may have missed in the intro and then kind of what led you to pick this story about the Doomsday Mother. Well, uh, I heard about the story, like everyone else, uh, about Laurie Vallow and the missing children, her two missing children, uh, Tylee and JJ. And I kind of got riveted to some of the coverage of it. You know, you got a lot of coverage on Dateline. And I started following it and I put it up to my publisher and said, I think this is a very interesting story. And they said, okay, go ahead and follow it. So I kind of uh, jumped in head first, really and spent almost two years working on it. Wow, and it's a fairly recent story. Like I think that the uh, the law, the criminal you know, procedures are still ongoing right now, but can you talk about maybe some, I, I read the story like, and only, I only followed it maybe for like three days. Can you talk about kind of the background of this whole story and what you did to kind of investigate the story of the Doomsday Mother? Yeah, well, the background is it's really uh, down to the Mormon religion, in fact, and uh, a very uh, perverted offshoot of the Mormon religion. Uh, The two characters, uh, which I kind of follow from their childhoods, Laurie Vallow, who was uh, from a very strange family in California. Uh, Her parents were, they said they were Mormon, but her mother was more like uh, she used to wear hot pants, and blonde hair and everything. And uh, Laurie had a very, very strange childhood, I think. And uh, 
she sort of became kind of uh, obsessed with her younger, her older brother, uh, Alex, who I think they had a strange relationship and that has a lot to do with this, what happened, I think, in fact. The family was strange. Her her maiden name was Cox, right? And she was from Rialto, kind of in East L.A. Mm -hmm. But her dad was a kind of an anti-tax his whole life. He thought the IRS was a bogus institution. So they were anti-conventional, even for Mor Mormons, very anti-conventional, because Mormons are supposed to be very law-abiding. But that family was very peculiar right from the get-go right oh yeah i mean they didn't believe in tax so they didn't pay tax so eventually he got arrested for tax evasion and he'd go to court and he'd uh you know sort of pronounce that he was a he was american he didn't have to pay tax uh and of course they'd uh you know they'd always lose the cases and in fact he actually wrote a book about the evils of tax and it was a very strange family i think you know uh the many siblings and uh, Laurie, I think, uh, was trying to get out of the family and uh, she really didn't have any kind of uh, concrete foundation. So she would go through man after man, husband after husband without finding any happiness, I think. Yeah. And she was she would had this uh, thing where she would dance with mirrors. So she had this kind of Mormon sensibility of like the veil was very thin and she was communicating with angels and stuff like that, even before she ran into Chad Debo, right? Very much so. I mean, she started following uh, certain podcasts like the Julie Rowe podcast and she started reading books on this kind of going through the veil and uh, sort of doomsday scenarios. And that's how she first heard about Chad Daybell. She sort of read all his books and she told her friends, you know, Chad Daybell, she thought was a great author. Uh, and she sort of became a groupie. And I think she determined that she wanted to meet him. And that was what she was going to do. And then eventually, you know, she met somebody in Melanie McGibb at a convention, a Mormon convention. Uh, and uh, Melanie knew Chad Daybell and uh, she brought her along to uh, St. George where they were having a, a preparing a people event. And that's where she met Chad Daybell. And really, uh, that was the beginning of everything. It was a fatal, fatal meeting. It was a fatal meeting. So she had read his books, but she was on like her third husband. Like she had bounced. She had a biological child that she adopted a child. Right. And in your title, it's Valo. So her maiden name was changed to her last husband, Charles Vallow, right? Wasn't that one? Mm -hmm. and I mean, Charles, Charles was uh, you know, quite an amazing guy. I mean, I, I met, I got to talk to his family, you know, in preparation for the book. Uh, he was really in love with her. And uh, when her previous marriage to Joe Ryan was breaking up, uh, there was a lot of court activity there where, you know, she was trying to get him arrested for molesting their son, which wasn't true at all. And they eventually went off to Hawaii to live for about eight years. And for a while, she seemed to have found stability for once in her life with Charles. But that wasn't to last at all. Right. And he really was devoted to her, which is kind of sad because it didn't end up that way. But he was a, he was the provider. They adopted this autistic or damaged child, JJ. So they were trying to kind of make a new family with these. And he had two boys from another family. 
like it's very complex because she had an older son, Colby, right? So she had, yeah, it's hard to put these. She had a lot of relate relatives, like children and stuff like that. Uh, yes, I mean Colby was, uh, you know, she, she he was quite a lot older than uh, her daughter Tylee. So I mean, he'd been with her from the beginning, and he saw everything really happened, and that's who I felt most sorry for. I think who got hurt the most by what happened. Yeah, and there was precursors, right? So you talked earlier about her strange, relate, curious relationship with her brother Alex, who seemed to have something more than a sibling relationship with her. I don't know what it was, but I got the sense something was going on. But he attacked her second husband, right? Alex did? Yes. I mean, she was accusing uh, second husband uh, Joe Ryan of uh, molesting her children, which wasn't true at all. And she had him, she tried to have him arrested. Uh, they went into certain therapy sessions and uh, the therapist uh, or the doctor actually could see that uh, that Laurie was trying to influence what Tylee was saying. She didn't believe it whatsoever. And Laurie would come, come out with things like uh, she was in communication with uh, dead people, her sister who had died very early uh, of uh, a, a serious illness, uh, Laurie thought Tylee was a reincarnation of her, the sister. And she was talking to the, you know, the other side of the veil. And this therapist saw that and didn't think there was any credence in what she was doing with Joe Ryan, you know, accusing him of molestation. And then when uh, things were going against Laurie, she got, uh, she sort of wound a brother Alex up to attack him, which he did. You know, he, he turned up with a taser gun and poor Joe Ryan was coming out of a, uh, a meeting with, with his daughter because they were kind of supervised uh, meetings at the time. And he walked out and Joe attacked him with a taser and knocked him to the ground unconscious. And I think probably would have killed him if people hadn't been coming out and seen what had happened. And in fact, Laurie and her daughter Tiny were watching everything in the car. So it was very, very dark, very dark. Yeah, really dark. And Alex, I think you wrote in the book like he, uh, Joe Ryan might have suffered health problems from that. But it's yeah. almost like there were similarities in her husband's where they really were trying. It seemed like they really wanted to contact their children. And she, it seemed, do you get the sense that Lori kind of made up stories to to be very manipulative to the absolutely. police and other people? Yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. You can see some, some of the things she said, which were recorded at certain talk she would give you know uh that totally made up i mean she invented a lot of stuff you know she she really i don't think we, she really had a concept of reality actually at one point right she was almost like a like a psychotic or something like that like there's a term for it in psychology where you just yeah yeah she just yeah. like it was very strange and so then she her and charles she kind of there was an age difference, right? He was like 17 or years older than her. He was 17, 18 years older. He was very successful. I mean, he made a lot of money. Uh, in uh, He had a sort of a finance business. Laurie lived very well. She never really worked or anything. You know, she originally had a job as a hairdresser. That was all she ever did. Uh, but Charles kept her in, you know, very, very well in Hawaii. And then uh, after... She started getting more and more involved in the 
you know, the uh, preparing a people group and meeting Chad Daybell, Laurie decided that Charles was not devout enough. Uh, she didn't like his religious thoughts and she's kind of turned against him. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's kind of a shame too, because he transfer he changed it into a Mormon for her. And then right. he wasn't, I mean, strong enough. And so then she meets this guy, Chad Daybell. What's right. Chad Daybell's background? Well, Chad Daybell came from a big family. Uh, he, in fact, uh, liked to pretend that, you know, he, he had near-death experiences, I think, when he was 12 and a little later as a teenager. And uh, he was a devout Mormon, and he would sort of talk about these near-death experiences where he was convinced that, uh, you know, he'd gone over to the other side and he'd been pulled back, you know, but there was still a... a a hole in the veil which allowed him to sort of transport himself to the other side and he uh he began uh as a journalist actually he was he also as a grave digger when he was a teenager he worked as a grave digger and uh he then became a journalist i interviewed a lot of people that worked with him on the newspaper and they all said he was very very strange he would never say anything he was very very quiet uh, he kept to himself. He wasn't sociable at all. And uh, eventually, you know, he got out of journalism and decided he was going to become a writer. And he managed, he started writing these kind of doomsday books, you know, about the end of the world and things. And within the Mormon literary world, which is kind of uh, not very wide, he became pretty well known, in fact, I think. Right. He had put together like uh, fictional books and things like that. He started his own imprint, right? His own publishing house yeah. with his wife. His own publishing with, with his wife, Tammy. He was very devoted to him. They started a little publishing company and uh, they really didn't make much money. I mean, they, the books didn't sell, but he loved the idea of being an author. And he would do book signings and whatever and make guest appearances and give talks. And he really enjoyed doing that, you know. And I mean, within this very narrow world of, uh, you know, preppers and preparing for the end of the world, uh, he became pretty well known, in fact. And that's pretty, that's why how Laurie kind of, you know, joined up with him, in fact. Right. Is on one of his book signings. He had five kids. He was with his wife, Tammy. They had gone through like a pretty brutal bankruptcy, right? Like I think they yes. owed a couple yeah. hundred thousand dollars, serious money, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, he wasn't a very good man, he was, and he wasn't a very good writer. I mean, unfortunately, I, I had to read some of his books, you know, in preparation uh, as research, and they weren't very good. But it was almost like they were, in the books, the characters were fighting all of these end-time things that were going to happen, right? So Right, and they were all based of, on people yeah. he knew, and family members, you know, like his daughter was the star of one of them. He was a hero in all of them, I think, you know. And he'd be fighting these—he'd be fighting these brutal forces, you know, to to save the world. Yeah, it's really, and so it's almost like she and him—they're attack—they're like you talk about the veil, but the veil between reality and fiction seems to have dissipated between them. Would you agree with that when they got together? Absolutely. I mean, they were kind of uh, very combustible when they met. It was it was kind of a love at first sight, and it was kind of and. Uh, Laurie's best friend, Melanie Gibb, described it as pouring oil on uh, gasoline on fire and it just exploded. 
I mean, for Laurie, uh, he made her feel like she was really special, like she had all these incredible spiritual gifts to save the world, which, you know, she loved being told that she had these special powers and was better than anyone else. And he was kind of, uh, you know, he was it is, uh, coming up to 50. His marriage was falling apart. He, you know, he had five children. He was, and Laurie to him was this beautiful blonde girl. And he wanted to, he sort of saw his dream, you know, lover in her. So they both sort of fed each other, I think, for their various needs they had. Right. And so it just was combustible. And he had, he had this thing preparing a people. Can you talk about that? Yes. It was like, uh, it was a group and he was part of it. And they believed that the end of the world was coming. I think it was July 2020 was the date. They actually had a date that Chad gave. And he was one of the, he was, him and Laurie were going to lead the 144,000 people that were going to survive the end of the world and start the new one. And uh, he told Laurie they, they have to start recruiting them. So Laurie was actively trying to recruit people, you know, her friends and family to join the 144,000 who would survive, you know, the end of the world and be there for the second coming. And amazingly, I mean, they did get a group of people that devoutly believed in what they preached, uh, who were faithful followers. You know, one of the things I think I found particularly alarming about this book was the number of people that actually believed, believed in their, you know, their crazy sort of story about the end of the world and thought they were really kind of had special powers. Right. So they thought they had special powers. He had this owl necklace. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, it was something he found, I think he found in a Mormon church on a pew and it was an owl brass necklace. And he would, he would take it to be, and he had a certain way of holding it and swinging it. And depending on what direction it went, he would ask it questions and it would answer them. So it became like a parlor game. He he held these kind of little meetings for his followers where uh, he would actually try and impress people. He would do research on certain characters. Uh, I think he liked people coming out of the Mayflower, actually, you know, coming over on the Mayflower. And he would tell them who they were, in, you know, using the necklace, tell them who they were in previous lives and what they were going to do. And it became like a parlor game, you know, which people took seriously. Right. So he had this thing. Then he got fired from his day job. So he was like going down the wrong path. And I think he got excommunicated by the Mormons at some point. Right. Uh, that's what I understood. I mean, I, I, I couldn't I could never verify whether it was before or after his arrest that, you know, he I was see. excommunicated. Well, they have doctrines. If you step out, I mean, the Mormon, all churches do, but the Mormons will excommunicate you if you're teaching something like that. He was teaching kind of strange stuff. He said, he had new people seven times in past lives. They were he could create a portal where he could communicate with yeah. Lori, right? I mean, it's heretical, you know, yeah. pure heresy for the Mormon religion, what he was, you know, teaching and everything. And at one point, while Lori was still married, I think, and he was still married to Tammy, they actually sealed themselves in a Mormon temple, which I think is the, the ultimate heresy in the Mormon religion to do that. So, I mean, it was pretty bad what they were doing. Right. And he had, uh, what Charles Vallow drove him over the edge was when he found a paper from Chad to Lori about 
they were grading people on a number of bases spiritually, right? Or he right. Was he, he, yeah, I, I think he accessed certain uh, papers in Laurie, you know, in Laurie's computer, and he also found the letter that uh, Laurie had sent Chad, uh, and it was for the benefit of Tammy because Chad was coming over to spend some time with Laurie secretly, and uh, she they gave uh, an alibi to Chad saying it was so great to meet you. And uh, and it was actually from Charles Vallow inviting Chad to come over and uh, write his autobiography and spend some time and saying he would pay him. That was to give Chad an opportunity to come to their house and spend some time with her. And uh, Charles Vallow found that and was very, very suspicious. And in fact, told one of Laurie's brothers that he thought Laurie was having an affair and they had to do something about it. Right. So Chad is doing this and she, he's telling her that she was a god too, right? Like all this really heavy stuff, rid the world of evil spirits or zombies. Right. So he had her believing that certain people were zombies, right? Yes. And I mean, Charles had turned into a zombie. And uh, then Laurie kind of actually told Charles that he, you know, you're not Charles, you're a, you're a zombie. And she had a, she had another name for him, which I can't yeah, remember. Nick, Sh Nick Schneider, right? Schneider, yes. Yeah. He said, you're not really Charles Vello, you're Nick Schneider. And she threw him out of the house, locked him out of the house, and took his money, uh, you know, out of his account so he couldn't pay his employees or anything. Uh, and it was, it was really, really dire what she did. And he got so worried that he actually tried to get her committed into a mental hospital and uh, went to the police about it. And then when she she actually went to uh, be, you know, analysed and she sort of, she, she was such a good actress. She got, a, you know, she persuaded everybody that she was fine, you know, and it was Charles who was, the you know, at fault. Right. Everybody else was at fault. She was really good at pushing blame off herself towards oh, yeah. other people, other husbands, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you even see some of the police, there's some police uh, video interviews that she did uh in chandler arizona and she persuades the police you know that charles is uh cheating on her and he's a bad husband and they're very very sympathetic to her you know right and there i mean it's incredible yeah. <laughs> and it was like she was kind of the ideal for chad too because i think you wrote in the book he was kind of a plain guy he and his wife were playing and she was like blonde haired so mm -hmm. It's kind of like she was kind of like the ideal for him, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he yeah. was dumpy, plain, kind of overweight guy. I mean, and she, Laurie was, you know, very good looking and stuff. I mean, she, in fact, I mean, competed in Mrs. Texas at one point, you know, although she didn't win. And there's some pictures, you know, from the beauty contest in the book, which I got. Uh, so he was, you know, Chad's dream girl, basically, you know. Right. And yeah, so she's very attractive, well-spoken. She could really, I mean, you can see those videos online of all of them, actually. Yeah. A lot of those, there's a lot of uh, court documents of her brother, too, or court videos right. of interrogations of Alex. And so it gets just worse with Charles. So she she changes all the locks. Right. And then it's like, uh, I mean, she travels, she doesn't talk to him, goes to Hawaii, and Charles is trying to figure out what to do, right? Yeah, I mean, she just goes to Hawaii, leaves him in charge of the kids, basically, of uh, JJ, washes her hands of them, 
and just moves to Hawaii for a while. You know, I spoke to her best friend in Hawaii that she lived with for, you know, some time during that period, you know, and she said, well, Laurie was just trying to convert her to, you know, uh, become one of the preppers for the end of the world and she wasn't going to have anything of it. And said Laurie was just, you know, plain out there, you know. Right. So she was out there at that time. So she's missing for like three months right. or 38 days or something with that. No, doesn't talk to Charles, but then goes back. She tries to change the insurance policy on Charles's million, million dollar insurance policy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you can sense something bad is on its way. Right. And uh, he finds out about it and changes uh, his beneficiary from Laurie to his sister. So uh, she doesn't know that, though, at the time. Right. I mean, so it's just getting stranger and stranger. Then she comes back to Charles and says everything's fine, right? And he yes. takes her back. I mean, it's just off the charts, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was really in love with her. And he just, you know, he, he she says, oh, everything's forgiven. You know, I'll move back in with you. And Charles says, fine, you know, but it doesn't, it didn't last very long. Right. And, and he ca got another nickname, a Hippolos. Like they had this whole kind of Dungeons and Dragons fantasy world view right. of these different people with different names. And Chad, you talked to Rick Ross, who I've interviewed as well, right. uh, a cult guy. And he kind of figured out that Chad was really working on her, just manipulating her and putting ideas into her that she didn't have before, right? Sorry, didn't she, seem to, she didn't seem to have a lot of those prepper. I mean, well, it she, seems like Chad egged her on into the prepper world, right? Well, she was getting in there because just yeah. before she met Chad, she gave a talk at one of Melanie Gibbs' prepper uh, conferences. Oh. Uh, and she's full of these ideas because she'd read them in Chad's books and everything. Oh, I see. But she was ready for it. She was ripe. And so something's going on, and they're like living together. And then Charles Vallow mysteriously, something happens, right? That's right. Yes. I mean, he's coming to uh, visit JJ, uh, and she won't let him stay at the house. He has to stay in a hotel. And he arrives to see JJ. And the next thing, about 45 minutes later, is Brother Alex, who happened to be at the house with Laurie is calling police saying he's just shot his brother-in-law uh, and gives some really strange story that Charles was attacking them with a baseball bat and he was defending himself. So he got his gun, which he just happened to have because he was staying at the house and shot him twice in the chest and killed him. And the police turn up and uh, amazingly, nobody gets arrested. And, uh, you know, they're suspicious kind of, but, uh, they bring Alex in for questioning. You know, he, he's got a very kind of uh, little uh, little cut on his back of his head, which he keeps, he keeps like padding. He says that's where uh, Charles hit him with a baseball bat. And Charles was, was a semi-professional baseball player. So if he'd really hit him with a baseball bat, he would have been much worse hurt than that. But they took their way out of it. So uh, it gets reported in the press, but... Uh, they carry on. You know, Charles gets buried. She doesn't even tell Charles's family or his two sons that he's dead for about a week, I think. Right. So she's very glib. People see her. I think, is that the one where they see her smiling? Like she's, she threw a pool party the same yeah. day? Yeah. I, I mean, the police, uh, you know, they, they, turn, they, they interview her when she's outside the house 
with her dead husband. And she says, oh, I'm sorry, neighbors. I've just moved in last week. And she big smile on her face, you know, so glib. It was just unreal that uh, she's like that. And really, I think the detectives were suspicious, but they had nothing to go on really for a while. Right. Not- they didn't know the full story, the full arc of the story. But you can see both of the interrogations hmm. of her, Lori Fallow and Alex Cox, yes. her brother, online. And, you, I mean, if you know the full arc of the story, it's just incredible that the police were so... They seem so casual talking yeah. to them. Did you ever get like, was there, do you ever get the feel or did you ever, when your research get uh, a sense that Alex and Lori were, had some kind of romantic thing going on, the sister, the brother and sister? Well, I think one of my revelations in the book was I got uh, an interview with Lori's best friend growing up uh, when she was in high school, they were inseparable for a, a while. And, uh, the friend who I wasn't able to, you know, I had to give her another name because she didn't want to be named in the book. But she told me that, uh, I think it was in the eighth grade, one day, uh, Laurie came up and just, you know, burst into tears and hugged her and said, look, I feel bad. Alex is trying to have sex with me and I don't know what to do. And the two girls kind of, you know, they hugged each other and they, it was kind of, they were too young to really know how to handle it. And her friend told me that she didn't ever tell her mother because she didn't quite know what to say, you know. And Laurie never brought it up again, but she's convinced that maybe if she had told her mother, things might have been very different. But I got a feeling that there was definitely something uh, strange going on with the siblings, you know, Laurie and Alex, because right through the life, you know, Laurie seemed to have a hold on him. And wherever she moved, Alex moved very close by, you know, they always seemed to be within striking distance of each other. So I think there was definitely something weird going on. And in fact, it later emerged that Alex had a very brief marriage when he was younger. And the wife told police that uh, they would act very strangely for brother and sister. They were all over each other and she made her feel very uncomfortable. Wow. Yeah. See, I always sense when I was reading your book, something else was going on. And then he didn't have like a normal married life with kids either. So he was traveling to Columbia to visit prostitutes or something. So it it was almost like he just didn't want to identify with anybody else. So she was able to, uh, Lori seemed to really be able to get men under her power. Yeah. uh, It seemed like. And she was very, very manipulative with everybody, I think. You know? And in fact, I, I mean, I interviewed one of Alex. Alex is probably one of his few friends, you know, in, who was a fellow. Alex did stand-up comedy for a while. Uh, and Mary Tracy actually became friends with him on the comedy circuit, and they stayed friends. And she, she told me about the Alex she knew, you know, which she actually liked him. She thought he was really, really nice. And... In fact, Alex brought her to the family, a family gathering on a Sunday afternoon uh, in California, I think. And she walked in, she said uh, that Laurie, first time she met Laurie, Laurie just walked around the house in a bikini, you know, flaunting herself the whole time, which seemed very strange to her, I think. Yeah, just really strange behavior. (laughs) And then, like, uh, I mean, they, her and Alex's stories were inconsistent about the death of Charles Charles Vallow. And I got the sense the police should have been a lot more on point about the differences because their stories weren't even close. They weren't even really close to each other. 
Yeah, I mean, Alex said that Laurie wasn't in the house when it happened. She was actually gone to take uh, JJ, the son, to school. And Laurie said, oh, she was in the house. You know, she heard something, you know. So, I mean, right. they were at variance with each other. I think they should have been more, the police should have been more, you know, aware of that. And then that after he, so this is kind of the beginning where it just gets worse and worse because then they decide they're going to gear up and go to Idaho to be closer to Chad and Rexburg, right? Rexburg was going to be the, yeah. the gathering point for the people, right? Yeah, that was ground zero of when the end of the world came. They would gather in Rexburg for the second coming. Uh, I mean, Chad just liked Rexburg, I think. <laughs> he kind of appealed to him in Idaho. And he he got all his followers to move there. Uh, he got he got uh, Laurie's niece, Melanie, another Melanie, in fact, uh, moved there. Alex moved there, all in the same uh, little complex, too. So they were all living very close uh, towards the end. Did you get ever get a sense of how big the cult really was? How many people Chad was influencing? Uh well, you know, a lot of it was internet related, and you know, he did he did these talks, preparing a people podcast, video podcasts. So I think he had a lot more followers than you know people were aware of, and probably all over the country, all over the world, because these these were avid preppers would watch them, uh, you know, in lots of different places. So it's hard to say exactly how many followers he had. Although Rick Ross said that, you know, really it was a cult of two, uh, Chad and Laurie, and that was enough to have a cult. Right. And so he and Chad, when he get when that they all get up there, mm. Tammy, I mean, Chad's wife, he keep Chad keeps saying she's going to die mysteriously. Yeah. She I have a feeling she's going to pass over. He keeps yeah. saying weird things like that about his wife. And then. She goes like, this is part of the story that I never really understood when the media was covering this right. back in the day, like how many other deaths are around these people. So yeah. Tammy somehow suspiciously dies too, right? That's right. Yeah. And then Alex is, uh, I think, GPS, they pinpointed him uh, the, the week before she died, actually. She came out and she saw somebody with a mask holding a, holding a gun, which she thought was kind of a practical joke. And they fired and he ran away. And uh, she wrote about it on Facebook saying, you wouldn't believe what happened, blah, blah, blah. But it turned out that was Alex. And then a week later, she, uh, Chad calls 911 and says, he woke up and his wife was dead, you know. Uh, and they, the police came and everything, but there was never ever any kind of suspicion that he might be responsible. So there was no autopsy or anything. And Alex, I mean, Chad said, no, we don't need an autopsy, you know. So they just buried her very fast. And that was right. it. So, so he, like, hurried up the autopsy suspiciously. They just said natural causes. Exactly. He had some story where she wasn't doing well. Yeah. He, he told their five kids. Yeah. He told Tammy's sister that, in fact, she's been sick. She was not, you know, herself. And yet about a week earlier, she'd actually visited the sister and seemed in great health. I was actually training for a marathon, I think, at that point, you know. So none of it made sense. It was very strange. Right. And then Lori and Chad are married like in a week in Hawaii, a week later in Hawaii or something like that, right? Yeah, they fly, they go off to Hawaii. And uh, I, I interviewed the, uh, the person that married them, actually, on the beach in Kauai. 
uh, he said it was a very strange uh, wedding, you know, he because they were in such a rush to get married. Usually, you know, they paid their money and usually it would take an hour with the ceremony, but they just wanted to rush it as fast as possible. And once it, once the, you know, they exchanged vows, they, they were off, you know, and he was relieved because he, you know, he wanted to get, he wanted to get out of there because they were spooking him, I think. Right. And there's so much more to this story. Like there's, I mean, the kid story is like so, so disturbing. And right. Alex, it, it really is one of the most disturbing true crime stories and books I've ever read. It's off the charts. Okay. And it's still going on. I mean, you know, they've been arrested finally for the murder of the kids, uh, for Tammy, for Charles. Uh, and in fact, Laurie has now been declared uh, unfit, you know, to uh, incompetent. So really? Wow, I didn't know that. Seven, eight months, she's she's been undergoing mental treatment to bring her up to fitness, whereas Chad is still in jail. Uh, his trial is set for January 2023, in fact. But nobody knows what's going to happen now with Laurie and when this trial is going to happen. So really things are kind of in suspended animation with it. Right, it's very strange. And there's videos of them in court. They are smiling. It is so bizarre. They have like a glazed over face. Like, why aren't you showing any sorrow? Right. And Laurie actually got some, uh, they made some inmates lipstick. So in some of them, you can see she's got bright red lipstick when she comes into court and she's smiling and everything as if she loves being the center of attention, which she always did. Right. So she became the center of attention over the darkest stuff imagine. Really great book. I mean, it really opened up my understanding of this case and like how strange it was. And when these more some of these Mormons go off the reservation, it gets really weird. I mean, really off the charts. I mean, yeah, off the charts. Mormons, I think, are very embarrassed about this. They wash their hands of Chad and Laurie and then try to distance themselves as much as possible. You can't blame them. I mean, what they did was unspeakable. And there's just a lot more to the book. I highly recommend people go get the book. Where's the best place for people to get the Doomsday Mother? Uh, well, you can get it on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. I've got leads on my website, www.johnglatt.com, which leads to buy it. So it's very easy to get. And so, you, so you've got the links on your website to wherever anybody can... Yes. Choose to get it, either Amazon or anything like that. Right. Great job. Amazing book. Highly recommended. Again, the title of the book is The Doomsday Mother, Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, and the End of the American Family, published January 2022. 66 five-star reviews on Amazon US. There's also an audio book if people want. And the author, again, title, uh, his name is John Glatt, G-L-A-T-T. And his full name is his website. So you can uh, reach him there if you're interested. But John Glad, thanks so much for your time and excellent book. Really, really Thanks for having me. It's great. All right, take care. All right, stay there. All right, that was perfect. That's